This morning's reading is taken from Acts 18, and we're going from verses 1 through to 25. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptised. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul in Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul, and Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at the Sencriae because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and travelled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervour and taught about Jesus accurately 
though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Yvonne, and good morning to you all. It's great, great to be back with you. Um, a number of you have already commented. It's been, been a while since you've seen, seen you, Tom. Um, I promise it's not because I've been avoiding you. It's just, just the way the summer sort of happens. We've had a few, few weeks uh, away on holiday. I've been, I was down for a week with our sister church down in Houghton. They send their, their love to you all. Um, and I've just been a bit less around this summer. Many of you will know that, um, very sadly, um, uh, quite, quite suddenly, Emily's mum uh, died earlier in the summer. So we've been kind of uh, navigating that, uh, that. So it's for me, to be back in the book of Acts, it's actually, it's actually really helpful. Uh, because it gives me and it gives us just a bigger picture perspective of what God is doing in this world and is doing in and around all that's going on in our lives. And what God is doing is unstoppable. It's more unstoppable than when you get super glue between your fingers. It's more unstoppable than a small child when they've noticed the puddle and going to jump in said puddle. It's more unstoppable than the bindweed that's wrapped itself around my raspberry canes. It's more unstoppable than DFS having another sale on their sofas. What is it that is so unstoppable? Well, it's the spread of the gospel. The good news about Jesus that he's real, that he is risen, and that he is for everyone going out and reaching all kinds of people in all kinds of places. And this week, as I've been kind of rereading the book of Acts again, that is the word that has come to mind again and again. Unstoppable. Again and again and again, we hear how the message that Jesus is alive goes out. And again and again and again, we hear this drumbeat, this heartbeat of the book of Acts that many believed, that the number of disciples increased. We have it in our passage in, in verse 8, don't we? We find Crispus, the synagogue leader, his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Isn't that brilliant? Isn't that exciting? And yet, if you're anything like me, it kind of feels like Acts is here and, well, I'm, we're several steps away from that. Doesn't necessarily feel like our experience, does it? If I were to ask you, and feel free to shout out at this point, where the gospel is spreading in the world, where comes to mind? What places? What countries? China, yes. Anyone know the fastest growing church in the world, what country that's in? It's Iran. It's Iran. And it, his, this, this one will make you sit up because it made me sit up. Second fastest growing church, the country with the second fastest growing church. Any ideas? Afghanistan. It, not because it's a massive church, it's a tiny church. It's tiny. In the last few years, it has been growing rapidly. 
Uh, and now believers there are facing something unimaginably terrible. And we must be praying for them. We must be praying for that country. Uh, and we will be giving, uh, there's an opportunity to do that uh, tomorrow night. Uh, we're going to have an online prayer meeting at 8 o'clock. Um, or if you want to just carve out half an hour uh, tomorrow night to, to be praying for them, um, let's do that. But it feels as though, doesn't it, that, yeah, the gospel's unstoppable, but it feels far away. It's in other countries. It's in China. It's in Iran. It's in Afghanistan. I mean, aren't we constantly told that, well, church attendance is in decline. The number of people who tick Christian on their form, well, that's, that's gone down. But we also need to remind ourselves and be reminded that even today, in the city of Leicester, there will be new Christians. In our county of Leicestershire, in the villages around us, there will be new Christians. In a few weeks' time, we're going to be baptizing Ashley and along with his and Rachel's little one, Emily, who's gurgling over there. Uh, it's going to be such a joy and, and it's great. We'll, we'll hear a little glimpse of Ashley's story. I think it's, do we say the 19th of September? If the 19th of September is a Sunday, that's the Sunday. It'll be at the 10.45. Do come along. Just hear a little snip of Ashley's story and what, what the Holy Spirit's been doing in his life. Okay, we're not in a culture where it's happening at the rate it happens in China and Iran and Afghanistan or the book of Acts. But it is happening because the gospel's unstoppable. Jesus really is alive and the power of God is at work. And maybe as we read the book of Acts, particularly this bit of the book of Acts, we're kind of like, well, of course the gospel's unstoppable. Just look at Paul. I mean, the man is a gospel ministry preaching machine. And in case you missed it, a few chapters ago, um, back in Acts 14, uh, Paul's in a place called Lystra. Uh, and just to kind of prove it, uh, he ends up with a crowd picking up a load of stones to launch at him. The crowd have one intention, to kill him. They think they've done it. They drag him out to the edge of the city. They dump his body and they go back in thinking we've done away with him. We're told believers gather around Paul. Uh, I guess they're praying in that moment. And what does Paul do? Anyone know? Gets up. What does he do next? <laughs> he walks straight back in. Round two, ding, ding. I mean, he's a machine, isn't he? And there's a list of places in you know, recent weeks, all those different places. You know, we often put up maps of this is where Paul went. And you know, the, the list of places and destinations is longer than any wish list of any gap year student. And today we find Paul in another city in Corinth. But Paul wasn't traveling around just because he wanted to visit new places. He wanted to find himself. He was doing it because he was convinced that there is nothing more important for people to know, nothing more important for people to hear and believe than Jesus being real, risen, and for everyone. It's why we find Paul in verse 4 of our reading, each Sabbath going to the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. We read it and it's exciting, isn't it? And yet Paul and what's going on is here. I don't know about you, but I'm certainly feeling a few steps back here. I feel like it's a bit of a distant land. It's, it's not me. I mean, how many of us would, be, would feel comfortable with the language that's used here of persuading people to follow Jesus? It's not our usual language about it, is it? I mean... That's probably because we, we have bad connotations to the word persuade. We think of, I don't know, a, a kind of a, a clever sales pitch or somebody manipulating people or somebody being forceful. When I was a landscape gardener, the sledgehammer was known as the persuader. 
But that's not what Paul does, is it? He's not, he's not a clever salesman. He's, he's not manipulating. He's not being forceful. Verse 4, it says, Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade, people, uh, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And to try and persuade is, is not just to talk about Jesus as sort of information that's out here. It's to do so in a way that comes with a conviction that there is nothing better, nothing more important than somebody can do with their life than to follow Jesus. And I want to suggest this morning to us, to each and every single one of us, that that being a Christian persuader is perhaps what the Spirit is laying before us. Challenging us to be stuck in with. You see, the gospel is unstoppable. But it's not just because of a few keen and gifted people like Paul. Because if you think Paul arrived in Corinth, but how did the gospel go out to the suburbs and to the villages? through very ordinary believers in their everyday work, in their family life, in their social lives. Ordinary followers of Jesus who, who, like me and I guess like you, whenever there's an opportunity to say something about Jesus to somebody who's not a Christian, you're not feeling unstoppable. In fact, you're probably feeling very stoppable or that you stopped a long time ago or that you never actually got started thing is, the gospel of Jesus is unstoppable. And for some reason, in God's marvelous ways, he chooses to use very stoppable people like you and like me. How, how, are we gonna, how, how do we even go about doing this? Well, two things uh, for us uh, from these verses uh, as we, we look to be Christian persuaders. But first, there's a promise and then some practical tips. So first, we get this, this promise because... It is tempting to think that Paul's a gospel ministry machine. But the reality is, when he turns up in Corinth, he's feeling anything, he's feeling about as far from it as it's possible to get. We read in his first letter to this church, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, this is how he describes how he felt walking into this city. Uh, You know, this is the guy who was stoned, left for dead, got up and went back into the city. This is what he says I came to you in weakness, in great fear and trembling. Paul felt like you do, like I do, when it comes to talking about Jesus. It doesn't it make you breathe a massive sigh of relief? Well, I'm not the only one. Paul needed strengthening. And Jesus gives him a great promise that we get in verses 9 and 10, and it's a, it's a promise for us to hear as well this morning. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you. Because I have many people in this city. When we read the book of Acts, we often kind of have a question we have to think through in our heads of of how much of it is for that time. How much of the book of Acts is for, for that time, unique to that time? And how much of it is true for us today? And we kind of have to work that out as we we, we go along. Uh, and I think when it comes to this promise. You know, is it just for, for Paul in Corinth? Is it for us as well? And, and the kind of annoying answer is, yes, it's both at the same time. That in the specifics, it's for Paul in his situation in Corinth, but there are truths that uphold those specifics that, that kind of translate to us and our experience now. Uh, a promise of Jesus' presence, of his protection, of his people. Don't be afraid. Oh, how many times does the Bible say that? How many times do we need to? hear that. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Words for us to hear when we feel stoppable. 
Jesus promises his presence. He says, I am with you. Well, how does Paul experience Jesus' presence? A couple of ways, I think. Uh, First of all, when he turns up in this new place, knowing nobody, it just so happens Priscilla and Aquila are there. Oh, it just so happens they have the same trade as Paul. Oh, it just so happens they live together. Ah, amazing. It was experienced when Silas and Timothy turned up from Macedonia. Uh, And it it seems they probably brought a financial gift for Paul, which meant he didn't have to work. He could be a full-time preacher. Wouldn't that have provision said a word from the Lord? I'm with you. When Paul experienced a kind of time where just nobody was responding positively to the message about Jesus. And then suddenly there's a flurry of new believers. It was probably experienced by Paul when he walked away dramatically from the synagogue with the Holy Spirit equipping him to say the bold words that he did. I am with you. It's the same promise Jesus gives all his disciples. Think of Matthew 28 when he says, go and make disciples of all nations. What's the promise that comes attached to that? I am with you. When we experience it, we experience it when, when circumstances, it just so happens. It just so happens. Oh, it just is so neatly lined up, isn't it? When God provides for our financial needs. Maybe, maybe we can reduce our hours so we can give a bit more to helping lead the youth work or, or lead a home group. Or or give up a day so that we can offer it to a mission organization or to the church. Or or when it seems like nobody is interested remotely in our life about Jesus and suddenly there's a little flurry of interest. Jesus promises his presence. He he promises protection. He says to Paul, no one's going to attack or harm you. Doesn't mean Paul's in for an easy ride. I mean, he gets dragged before the courts, doesn't he? But yet he is, the judgment goes his way. He's not hurt, he's not harmed. Doesn't mean we're going to get an easy ride. It doesn't mean we can say to the Christians in Afghanistan, well, uh, nothing's going to harm you, nothing's going to hurt you. Um, we can't say that. There is something specific about this promise to Paul in Corinth. And yet, we do have the promise of God's ultimate protection. That in God's courts, anybody who belongs to Jesus, well, no charge will stick. But there is absolutely nothing that will separate you from the love of Christ. So Jesus promises his presence, his protection, and his people. He says, I have many in this city. I would love to stand here and say, God has many in Thurnby and beyond. I I can't say that. I'm not in the place of doing that, but I am working with the assumption that that is the case. I am praying that that is the case. I am hoping that is the case. And and I I think it's a safe bet. Why? Because we are here. God does not put us in our communities, the places we live and work and spend our time, by accident. I think it's why he's, uh, God has led us to be reaching out to children and young people, to be involved with building the hub, to be supporting Matthew's work at pioneering in uh, Netherhall, to be uh, church planting in Thermiston. We've got this amazing promise. God's, Jesus' presence, his protection, his people. And it's very tempting at this point to kind of do the preacher thing and go, right then, off we go. Let's do some Christian persuasion. And I can hear it from here. It's the groan inside all of you going, oh, not another sermon that just goes, read your Bible more, pray more, tell more people about Jesus. It's unfair. So, along with the promise of Jesus, of his presence, his protection, his people, I think there are some some helpful tips for us. Three helpful things. 
of how to do this in our ordinary, everyday lives when we feel very stoppable. Uh, three practical tips for us to be asking the Holy Spirit to be uh, living out in us. How do we make Jesus known? Well, firstly, do it with other people. Do it with others. In Acts 18, we meet Achilla, Priscilla, Silas, Timothy, Crispus, Apollos, and those are the ones who are named. See, the way... The work of making Jesus known is not a solo thing. Because left to myself, I'm very stoppable. But the encouragement of others goes a heck of a long way. Pray with others about those friends and family members who don't know Jesus. Maybe in your home group. And when you're praying together, people will ask, oh, how's it going with so-and-so? Talk about those opportunities. Hold each other a little bit accountable. And now that we can do more things together, why not have something where we get some Christian friends and some non-Christian friends and merge your two worlds together? In a couple of weeks' time, we're going to have an open-air service down on Manor Park. And if you've ever thought about inviting somebody to church, that would be a great one to bring them to. So we make Jesus known by doing it with other people. And second of all, we do it by putting our, the whole of our life on show. People in Corinth got to know Paul as well as Aquila and Priscilla and others. They knew where they lived. They knew how they spent their time. Initially, they knew what work they're involved with. I wonder if some of them were living in tents made by Paul's hands. And I wonder if they were looking around going, oh, shoddy job, Paul. Or whether they were going, no, this is a guy who went the extra mile. Quality craftsmanship. What does our, what does our work, our working life, say to those around us? People encountering Jesus through us doesn't only come through our conversations. Our conversations matter, and they're really important. But to get there, we need to be sharing life, sharing those moments of celebration together, sharing moments where we can serve one another and be served with others. And then we'll have opportunities to say something, not everything, about Jesus. We're to make Jesus known by doing it with others, by putting our lives on show, and, and lastly, Possibly most importantly, by being reasonable. Being a Christian persuader is not about manipulation. It's not about clever sounding words. It's not about force. It's showing that Christian, the Christian faith is reasonable. See, Christianity isn't about faith that shuts its eyes despite the evidence. The Christian faith actually is having your eyes open to the fact that our, uh, the Christian claims about Jesus being risen from the dead are reasonable and there's very good evidence for it. And if Jesus really did rise from the dead, if he's been raised, he's passed through death and is still alive, then he's somebody we all need to pay attention to. But being reasonable also means recognizing when our conversations about Jesus just aren't going anywhere and backing off. I mean, Paul backs off in a pretty major way in, in our passage in the, from the synagogue. But it doesn't mean we give up on people. We continue to share our life. We continue to share those moments of celebration and those opportunities to serve and, and trust there'll be an opportunity down the line. And for Paul, it came straight away, didn't it? He walks out of the synagogue, goes next door, and oh, there's a flurry of interest. And we meet Crispus, one of the very synagogue leaders. He's just sort of gone, well, you're not paying any attention. You're not responding. I'll give up on you. Turning around going, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. And God sometimes and often works like that. When you least expect it, the person you expect the least 
says, I'm interested. Tell me more. Maybe that's just a reminder that we're joining in with God's work. And it's the Holy Spirit's, uh, it's the Holy Spirit's power that's going on. As the Holy Spirit lays down the challenge to us all, I've been those who are persuaders for Jesus, Christian persuaders. We, we need to remind ourselves of that promise of Jesus. He's with us. He's for us. He's got people. And then we do it with others, sharing our whole lives by being reasonable. Should we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for the book of Acts and just, just how exciting it is uh, to read. And at times, we're tempted to feel far away from it. But thank you, you are the same God. The message of Jesus is real and alive and for all. is It's the same message today. And I pray when we feel weak, stumbling, stoppable, that we would again hear Jesus' promise of his, his presence and his protection and of his people. Would you help us together be making him known? Would you help us to, to share and show our lives with others? And would you help us to be reasonable? And would we see much fruit by the power of your Spirit? Amen.